Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Live from Lane County, Oregon, it's the Bo's Nose Show. With your host, West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Bozovich. And now, here's Jay. And good afternoon, and it's another gray and rainy day here in the Pacific Northwest. This is the Bose Nose Show, and I'm your host, West Lane County Commissioner Jay Bozovich, and we're coming to you live from beautiful downtown Elmira, Oregon. And it's another free-for-all day where you get to control the conversation, and I'd rather talk about what you want to talk about than what I want to talk about, because I might just be boring people because I might not be talking about anything interesting to you. So give me a call at 646-721-9887, and just press 1 if you want to uh, get in on the show here. Uh, And Robin, my producer, call screener, do everything computer-wise extraordinaire, will get you in the line uh, for getting on the air here, and uh, we'll get you on the air real quick because there's nobody in line right now. Uh, So give us a call again at 646-721-9887. And you can also email us at talk at krbnradio.net. And we'll pick those emails up even when it's not showtime in between the shows and use those maybe to uh, get us to uh, a conversation in the next show. You know, if you have a question or something like that, I'll try and make sure I answer that question in the next show. And, uh, you know, I uh, got to spend the morning this morning down in Florence, uh, which is part of my district. I stretch all the way from the Willamette River there in Santa Clara and uh, north to Junction City, all the way down to Lorraine on Territorial Highway, all the way out to the Pacific Ocean. And I uh, got to spend some time uh, this morning speaking to the Central Oregon Coast Board of Realtors. Um, and uh, it's uh, basically all the realtors in that um, area of Florence and Dune City uh, and up and down the, the coast there. Uh, and, you know, realtors are always a great group of guys, tend to be uh, people people because that's what they deal with is people all the time. Uh, either they're, they're uh, folks they're selling homes for or the folks they're helping buy homes. Uh, so it's always interesting to talk to them because they're kind of pretty much in touch with the community um, day-to-day. And I uh, got to speak with them. I also had uh, our chair, uh, Commissioner Pat Farr, with me, and uh, our sheriff, Byron Trapp. And we got a chance to uh, speak uh, to the uh, the realtors and, uh, and about various items that are you know, in front of the board. And then after the Board of Realtors meeting, uh, they opened it up to the public and brought the public in, and we held a town hall meeting where the uh, public got to ask questions and we answered them. Uh, it wasn't so much of us telling, it was telling like we were talking to the Board of Realtors about what's going on with the Board of Commissioners and some of the bills we're tracking in Salem that are important to realtors. Um, and, you know, various things that are important to, to their industry and all that. This was just the general public um, got to ask us questions about whatever and Chair Farr and Byron and Sheriff Trapp stayed for that session also. So we got a chance to talk about the upcoming jail levy a bit and uh, other um, some other law enforcement issues. But it was interesting that um, a lot of the folks in the audience wanted to know about, you know, are we going to start ever cutting trees in some of our federal forests, what would that do to help our um, local county budget, uh, 
you know, one of the people in the audience was a former school board member from Southern Oregon uh, and understood how important timber harvest used to be to his school district. Uh, and, you know, spent a lot of time talking about timber stuff. And I was expecting to spend a lot more time talking about some of the localized flooding that's been going on in Florence after they've seen record rainfall this winter, particularly set a monthly record for February in the Florence area. And they're getting ready to send, set another monthly record for the month of March, it looks like, um, coming up here. And it was just pouring cats and dogs when I pulled up to the, to the event this morning. But ended up spending about four hours down there in Florence uh, talking with people. Always great to get over the hill there um, and and speak with them. Different issues sometimes. They feel like sometimes the uh, redheaded stepchild over there on that side of the tunnel when it comes to Lane County, uh, that they feel sometimes they're a little bit ignored. But hopefully I, I, I get over there enough and, and we've done enough um, important things on that side of the tunnel to, to help them out that they don't quite feel that, that way uh, today. Uh, everything from reopening Archie Knoll's uh, campground over there to uh, work we're doing with the city of Florence on a lot of economic development work. Uh, it, it's, uh, there's always something going on on that side of the tunnel. And, you know, I get, you know, lots of questions and it was interesting. The folks on that side of the tunnel were interested on things that really probably matter more on this side of the tunnel. Um, had quite a long discussion about the Junction City Hospital and the potential closure there uh, with that audience uh, down in Florence. So um, people aren't terribly myopic sometimes, although sometimes um, we like to categorize people that way as, as being very uh, hometown thinking and, and not thinking much beyond their community. But it was obvious that the folks in Florence were thinking about the um, mental health system and, and the public safety system as as much bigger than just how it impacts them over in Florence. Uh, that the fact that they were concerned about the closure of the Junction City Hospital and were um, hoping that we were going to be able to prevent that, uh, which is something that I've been up in Salem working on on and off um, over the last several months. It, and it is an important piece of our, our mental health infrastructure. But, you know, I was expecting to hear a little bit more about flooding down there, and virtually there wasn't one question really about that. Um, it has been an issue. Um, the water table is way up. There's water in places that people haven't seen water since 1996 over there. And for a lot of residents that moved in since 1996, they've never seen it there. So um, now they're suddenly finding out, oh, my lot floods. <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> and who is the first person they call? Their county commissioner. So um <laughs> been hearing a lot about flooding there. So I was surprised that wasn't a major topic when I got over there. There's much more that people want to talk about, uh, from uh timber questions to uh uh you know mental health to you know the status of, of our public safety system. So it's pretty pretty broad discussion. And then I got a call from a constituent today, which will get me on a bit of a pet topic. It was also kind of in the register guard. The fact that, you know, the expansion of the lane transit districts uh, MX system is kind of on the chopping block because there's this um, fast grant program uh, through the U.S. Department of Transportation that the Trump administration wants to cut in their new budget plan. And uh, that's that's the funding source that LTD has been accessing to pay for most, not all, but a, a major portion of the capital cost of expanding MX. Unfortunately, it doesn't pay for the operational cost, which is far more expensive than operating standard buses because they have to run every six minutes. So there's more drivers involved. There's more maintenance on the actual um, uh the, the actual buses that run on that system because they run more miles because they're running constantly. Uh, it's, it's just, um, you know, they, great. They get the capital money funded by the federal government. The problem is they don't have the operating money. So what happens is they turn to the taxpayers to fund that. And it really bothers me because LTD is an appointed board. 
we don't get the vote on who's on the LTD board. And I also get a little bit upset sometimes because it has the word lane in the title. And for some reason, people call me when they, they have a concern about the Lane Transit District because they think it's a county function. So one of the first things I had to straighten out with this constituent was is it's not something I have any jurisdiction over, that it's a separate board that's appointed by the governor, which, of course, only Portland really gets to decide who's governor in this state. Um, so we don't have a lot of say in who gets appointed to that board. And um so it kind of kind of uh, really gets down to you know this desire by ltd to go with this bus rapid transit system which i don't believe moves people any faster because it takes away capacity of the road system to build the bus extra bus capacity long engineering discussion of that and as my past experience as a civil engineer we won't get into that what it does do, though, is it drives up operating costs, and they're having to shut down neighborhood routes to pay for manning the MX routes, which seems to me that it's really hurting a lot of low-income people that live near some of those late neighborhood routes that depend on the bus system. Neither here nor there. What the constituent called out about was he works as a contract employee and gets a 1099. And lo and behold, LTD wants their share of his 1099 earnings. And I was really surprised about that in some ways. Now, I have personally written checks to LTD for my wife's business because we have a payroll. And also when she was a Schedule C, ski, C, eh, Schedule C sole proprietor, say that five times fast, and uh, had to write checks to LTD every year when we filed our taxes. Uh, understand they live on a payroll tax, but what the heck does a contract employee, why are they paying that tax versus either the person that's paying the contract employee? And even then it kind of, I, I just don't get the nexus of taxation there. Um, I guess it's because LTDs, you know, going broke on their operating budget because they built this system that requires a lot more operating costs. Um, that they're looking into every pocket they can get to, and now they're going after 1099 folks. So, uh, you know, I, I hadn't planned on talking about LTD today, but that phone call it just happened about an hour before the show started, got me there, plus the article in the Register Guard. And, you know, I just know that, Robin, LTD is one of your favorite subject matters too, isn't it? Especially the EMX project, but... Uh, especially when I used to own a business, yeah, I had to pay the LTD tax, and I've never ridden the bus, but I paid for the bus. I drove it once, though, however. But what gets me is that what other company and our agency is funded by federal, state, local uh, taxes, and op and advertising and ridership? You know, they get it from every every angle. And then when we talk about the buses themselves, you know, when you talk about the, how many millions of dollars per mile or thousands of dollars per mile that it costs for that. Those green LTD buses, when I price them out, run just about a million dollars a piece, where the white accordion buses are around uh, 300 to 400,000 a piece. The only difference is, is that there's more technology in the EMX bus. Yeah. Yep. And, uh, you know, yeah, the, yeah, the buses cost more for the EMX line. The operating cost is far higher, um, and, you know, the fares in the LTD system only make up about 20% of their income. So, you know, it would almost be cheaper for the taxpayers of the Lane Transit District to purchase, you know, uh, vouchers for everyone that rides the bus for taxi cabs. When you get down to what the per mile cost of that passenger mile cost of that system is, is just astronomical. Don't get me started though on light rail <laughs> up in the Portland area. If you want to talk about something that's absolutely just outrageously expensive per passenger mile, hey, at least get, give uh, Eugene or the MX credit for one thing that the MX versus the light rail is at least they can go off route where light rail yeah. cannot. 
But I would think that instead of spending all that fancy stuff and they've had to put in the, dip, the harder concrete to handle the, the load, I'd rather personally see more of those little breeze buses uh, mm-hmm. going around and making the circle than I would uh, seeing these big, expansive VMX and, again, the infrastructure, what it costs to put them in. Yeah. Well, you know, in a lot of countries um, that depend heavily on mass transit, uh, Mumbai, India, and other areas, their transit systems are actually private, and the buses are private. And they, you actually, the buses, you know, are different sizes because, you know, the different routes have different number of riders and all that stuff. And it's kind of a, um, a free-for-all sort of thing where um, they figure out where the riders want to go and come from, and they run a route there where it's profitable. And, and it's completely free market in some of those areas. Uh, so it, it's uh, it's kind of interesting that we've gone the other way in the U.S., where we went to completely publicly provided transit and made them monopolies where they're not competing with anybody. And it, it's just gotten to be highly expensive. I will say I do agree with you, at least bus rapid transit is not as big a boondoggle as light rail. Um, it's easier to reconvert those bus lanes back to traffic lanes whenever they decide that the experiment's done. And also, at least if there is a bus broken down in the dedicated uh, travelway at the you know intersection above and below that, the bus can pull into regular traffic and go around them, uh, unlike light rail. Mm-hmm. which just can't jump off the rail and go around a stalled a stalled light rail uh, train. So, uh, yeah, it's... I do have a question for you, though. Sure. Um, of course, people that uh, are familiar with the Eugene area would know this. Um, West 6, when they uh, put the EMX route in, were they drunk? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, whoever decided that... that they were going to have everybody shift over to the left side, left couple lanes to get past the Washington-Jefferson bridges, and then close those lanes shortly after Blair Boulevard. I don't – yeah, they, I wonder if they were drunk or not, because they sure, certainly created a lot of weaving movement, which in traffic engineering equates to accidents, delays, and congestion. Well, in addition, it used to be you could drive a straight line. Now, yeah, and, yeah, and, and at night when the uh, it's raining, you can't tell where they where your lane's at. <laughs> yeah, yeah, actually, yeah, yeah. At West Six, yeah, it's just it's it's insane through there. And um, if you get out to West Eleventh around Bailey Hill Road and going you know west of Bailey Hill. That used to be sort of kind of a nice area. There was some landscaping there, you know, where the uh, uh, Safeway store was and, and all that. And and um, the corner of the bank across the way had some nice lands. They blasted that area out to make it seven lanes wide, oh. you know, because they wanted they put a dedicated bus lane on each side of the roadway. It was already five, so it was already a lot of asphalt. And then they put in great big wide um, sidewalks, too. So it now looks like hell when you look down at it. It's the ugliest stretch of roadway I've ever seen in my life. Um, And it's solid pavement, you know, more than seven lanes wide because the center lane is bigger than a normal lane and the bus lanes are bigger than normal lanes. And then they've got these really wide curbside sidewalks so it's it's got to be 150 feet wide of pavement from edge of pavement to edge of pavement and it is just but ugly i don't know who thought out that plan for that area but it is it is the ugliest section of roadway in all of oregon i think almost and that's saying a lot um <laughs> it, it it just yeah oh uh, yeah so LTD is just, you know, got to be top of mind for me a little bit, kind of off the normal beaten path of my, my subject matter here. Um, although I will, I will remind people, I was the only elected official that voted against 
the West Eugene MX route when I had the opportunity as, as a member of the uh, Metropolitan Planning Commission when I was on it at the time. So um, had I been able to convince um, my fellow commissioner that was on there at the time, we could have vetoed the whole thing out West 11th. Um, probably wouldn't have vetoed it for long. Eventually they figured a way around us, I'm, I'm pretty sure. But um, it, it, I saw the boondoggle coming I understood what it was going to mean to LTD's operating budget, which they still haven't explained to me in any satisfaction how they're going to handle the additional operating costs without having to get rid of neighborhood routes. And lo and behold, what they've done over the last couple of years is eliminate a lot of neighborhood routes. Um, yeah, you know, so we're getting a bus rapid transit system at the expense of the whole rest of the transit system. <laughs> Well, with the, to throw um, another wrench in the in the works, what's bad about that system is the, like I say, the areas that it operates, the hours that it operates, and if there's a holiday, you know, they want you out of your car, but unless they're going to accommodate all those other times, it's no point. Yeah. Yep. So... Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how things go with the federal budget, um, where the next section of, of the, quote, expansion of the bus rapid transit system goes. You know, they talked about Coburg Road before they went to West 11th, and I think the the well-heeled businesses along Coburg Road and the, the uh, uh, also the, the more upscale neighborhoods that, that are in North Eugene made that politically pretty impossible. <laughs> so they moved out to West 11th and destroyed that area first. Um, and we'll see, you know, I just can't imagine what they'll do to Coburg Road. You know, that, that stretch that goes between Albertsons and um, the Coburg Shopping Center there where there's the, uh, yeah, the, um, Starbucks and all those other businesses are and the gas station. How are they going to squeeze bus rapid transit lanes into that area? There's not enough lanes for the traffic yet there. Uh, it'll, it, it'll be fascinating to see where they go next and how they get there and how they're going to fund it if the, if the uh, grant program dries up at the federal end, where we'll actually have to pay for the system locally, uh, what it really costs instead of having some poor federal taxpayer down in Grants Pass helping pay for Eugene's um, dreams about mass transit. Well, maybe so, one place to start. Have you ever looked at some of the wages that those guys make? I'm not talking about the drivers, but you know the, the support staff. And they even have a lobbyist that's on salary. Yeah. Yep. Ed, Ed McGlone. Yeah. Why, why, why does a uh, transportation system have a lobbyist? Well, he's a lobbyist slash intergovernmental affairs person. Um, we technically have a lobbyist on staff at, at, at Lane County um, who does who spends a lot of time in Salem while they're in session. And you almost need somebody there full time because there's 2,000 bills dropped on the first day of of, of the legislation by the time they get through the end there may be as many as 5000 bills and amendments you're tracking oh my god you can't do that without somebody that's that's up there day to day and and trying to go through and go well this one doesn't matter to Lane County this one doesn't this one doesn't this one doesn't this uh oh this one does i better send it off to staff for for review and comment you know <laughs> and then, and then once you decide there's a bill that we either support or oppose because it's either good or bad for Lane County and, and our citizens. Somebody's got to at least convey that message to the, the legislators and trying to get them to understand why we took the position we took. Um, so we do have somebody that is paid to lobby uh, for Lane County, but he also acts as our uh, intergovernmental coordinator with all the cities in Lane County. Um, also at the federal level, he does, uh, does, uh, intergovernmental work and, uh, other, other government entities. So he, his job is on beyond just, um, 
being up there in Salem during during legislative session. And Ed Ed's position is basically similar with with LTD. Um, but you kind of got to wonder, LTD is part of the executive branch. Right. And if the exec, so, you know, because they are appointed by the governor, so technically it's an executive function. Is it really legal for them to have a lobbyist? Because don't you remember the issue about the new chief? Was it a chief of staff or somebody that the governor was going to bring into her, her, uh, um, cabinet that there was one guy that was a lobbyist and was going to try and continue to lobby and, and uh, she determined that she couldn't bring him on because it would violate some state rules about, um, you know, having lobbyists in the executive branch. So it's kind of kind of one of those things where you, you got that one, you might scratch your head a bit. It's okay for us, though, because we're not part of the executive branch or the legislative branch. Um, you know, we aren't you know, so we can actually lobby on behalf of our constituents and Lane County. Um, but so it, it is interesting. There are those positions in a lot of uh, governments. Uh, City of Eugene has got a, a quote, intergovernmental affairs person that does lobbying also. City of uh, Multnomah County has like four people in Salem. Wow. Yeah, they've got a, a head person and, and she's got like three staff up there. It's like, you know, of course, they've got more money than God compared to us. Um, and, and, are you know, financially have the wherewithal to do that. But, you know, local governments do lobby um, and sometimes carry weight. Yeah, I could see local governments doing that and Lane County doing that or counties. It just seems odd that, you know, like I say that a transportation system, like a um, a bus system, would have their own lobbyists and and maybe like, well, I don't know about privatization because how much control would you lose over that if it was a private company? Yeah, <clears throat> if it was a private company, they could have a lobbyist. That seems a little bit more apropos than a government government um, agency appointed by the governor. Excuse me. <clears throat> Been talking too much today. I'm losing my voice. Still, still the after effects of that virus I had three weeks ago. Um, so, not to, to get too far off the subject of LTD, I wanted to give a chance for our listeners to get in on the show and remind them that anytime they want to get in on the conversation, they just have to dial 646 721 9887. And press one because that lets us know you have a question because people also call into the show just to listen. It's one of the ways you can listen to the show. Don't have to be on the Internet or anything like that. When we're live, you can actually dial in and just, you know, listen over your phone. You're one of those folks that has unlimited minutes um, and can throw your phone on speaker and mute mute the, the microphone or whatever. Uh, it's one of the ways of, of listening to the show. But uh, just you know, want to get in on the conversation and want to talk about what you have questions about or comments on, just dial 646-721-9887, press 1, and that, you know, lets our shows on our board that you have a question, and we'll get to you as quick as we can. Uh, you can also email us at talk at krbnradio.net. And, you know, there are multiple other ways to get a hold of, of me, uh, as accounting commissioner besides this show. And one of them is you can send me a Facebook message. You can send it through the uh, KRBN um, Facebook page, or you can send it through my Jay Bozovich Lane County Commissioner page, or you can, you know, send me a, a personal message through my personal Facebook page. You know, send me a friend request. I accept almost everybody's friend's request. If I determine you live in Lane County, I'll accept it. And, um, you know, you might see pictures of my poodles if you're a personal friend of mine on Facebook. Uh, if you just want to talk county stuff, then uh, like my county Facebook page. But uh, you can also get to me through our um, Lane County website. If you go to the Board of Commissioners and, and go to my page, there's an email link. You can email me. There's my direct line into my office. I'm not always in my office like now. Um, 
but I'm always linked to my office. If you leave a voicemail message on my phone in my office, I get an email with a WAV file attached to it. So I, I literally pick up my phone messages while I'm away from my office. In fact, that constituent, I called back about the Lane Transit District 1099 taxing issue was a, a voicemail that was left at my office. I listened to at home and then called him back from from home here where I do my radio show because it's nice and quiet and I can um, work with a direct line instead of a uh, um, wireless connection. Uh, I'm actually hard hardwired into the internet here and it's a little bit faster so the sound quality is better and the response time is a little better. <clears throat> when you start working through wireless routers and all that, I get a delay in when the show is actually live on the air versus when I hear things over the computer. Uh, it gets kind of funky. So um, probably more than you need to know, but there's all sorts of ways to get a hold of me um, if you have a question for me. But, you know, it's really nice if I can get somebody calling the show and we can have a conversation. Besides that, Robin will, will keep me going sometimes. Exactly. But you know, there are a bunch of things we talked about with the realtors that probably some of them are a little bit esoteric for people. Can I, can I mention something here real quick before you get into sure, that? Sure, Robin. Um, just in addition to the fact that Jay has many, 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 many ways, uh, so there's no excuse for you not to talk to him, is that when you hear something in the news or have a concern or whatever, and instead of relying on what the, the media says, um, give Jay a call and ask him directly. This is your best opportunity to do this uh, with all the different ways he has to for you to get a hold of him. And that's one of the reasons why Jay is, is doing this, besides he's an awesome person. Okay, I'm done. Yep, thanks. <laughs> yeah, because it, it, it is true. Sometimes, um, you know, our media folks are busy. Um, and it's not that they're putting out fake news sometimes, it's just they're putting out partial news quite often, or sometimes they even get it wrong. Um, and not on purpose, it's not malicious a lot of times. They just uh, you know, simple things. They will uh, flip a number sometimes, or they'll um, make reference to the wrong commissioner for a quote, or whatever it is. Um, so if you ever have a question about what you might see, read, hear in the media, um, give me a call and, and let's talk about it and, and get, get the rest of the story, get the whole story. Um, I was joking with Robin before we got on the air that um, we get a whole hour here to, uh, to make up as much fake news as we want. Uh, <laughs> all the fake news we can, we can think of it within an hour. Actually, I try and stay away from that. I, I've got this, um, you know, honest to a fault um personality where one of the things that really bugs me is when there is incorrect information out there and it's one of the reasons why you'll quite often see me um commenting on news stories on the register guard or commenting on facebook is often just to correct an incorrect piece of information um it's partly the engineer in me it's partly you know being a boy scout my personality or whatever and you know it's even to the point where I had a couple people that were thanking me for my no vote on Tobacco 21 um, because they didn't like Tobacco 21. And I was, am so honest, I had to, to get back to them and say, don't thank me because the only reason I voted no was they pulled an, uh, a fairness um, clause out of it that would have phased it in that I wanted and, and I was against it without that fairness clause. But I, I was the one that actually initiated Tobacco 21 in Lane County and supported it. And it was important to me that they not have a false impression that I was against Tobacco 21. Um, that's how you know, honest driven I am, that I will go and correct somebody that was actually praising me mistakenly for something. You know? So it's, uh, it's almost compulsive on my part. Of course, you know, I've taken those OCD test on Facebook and, and I always score a hundred percent. So <laughs> it's probably part of the, part of the reason, uh, like a lot of engineers. Yeah. Which kind of, if anyone, anyone ever saw my office, they would never think I was OCD because 
the one place I will absolutely let things go go awry is my desk in either my home office or my office office. They're piled with papers. Um, but that's I, I know where everything is though. But it, it looks like a wreck. Um, but you know, really, would like to get you in on the conversation. Again, I'll remind folks of our telephone number: it's six four six seven two one nine eight eight seven. And just press one if you want to get in on the conversation. And I wanted to, you know, get back to Salem a little bit, and just a general concept because there's a real issue in Oregon. It's an issue across the country a bit, but it is exacerbated and really an issue in Oregon, and that's about affordable housing. And you know, we all, you know, are seeing it in the Portland area. Uh, we're seeing it in Eugene. They definitely see it in Florence because it's a resort area, and a lot of the rentals there are by the night, um, and they're priced for a resort area for people to go and rent on vacation. So if you are um, trying to make a living working in one of the service industries that supports the tourists that come for those vacation rentals, um, it's really difficult to find an affordable place to rent in Florence or anywhere near Florence. And you know, it's a real issue on the coast, it's a real issue in Eugene, and, and it's getting to be an issue for our businesses that are trying to attract you know, a, a good workforce into their businesses because the workforce, you know, if they hire somebody from out of state, I've heard stories about people that have lost employees that came here and could not find a place to live that was affordable and went back to where they came from after they got hired here. So there is a real affordable workforce housing, whatever you want to call it, crisis in the state of Oregon. And it has a lot of reasons behind it. One of the reasons is we placed an artificial constraint on available lands in this state through Senate Bill 100 and our statewide land use planning efforts. Well-intentioned, meant to save um, agricultural land and forest lands uh, and resource lands for future generations. But the process to maintain an adequate amount of residential and commercial industrial developable land is so Byzantine and, and complicated and takes such a long time, particularly in a city that's very process-driven like Eugene, is that we're not seeing any expansion of that um, available lands to build houses on. So when you're not building very many new houses, the existing houses become all that more precious and expensive. We've got a market in, in Lane County where there is less than three months of housing stock on the market. So it takes less than three months to sell the average house on the market in Lane County. Six months on the market is considered the tipping point between a buyer's and a seller's market. So if it's taking the average time of sale is seven months, that's considered a buyer's market uh, or a, a buyer's market because the sellers are starting to get desperate to, to move their house. If it's less, if it's five months, that's considered a, a seller's market because the buyers have got to you know, if they see something they like, they better make a, a, an offer on it because it may not be there tomorrow. We're in a situation where it's less than three months, which basically means you better put an offer on that. You better offer full price or you might even want to offer more than full price because somebody may be turning an offer in at the same time that's full price and doesn't have any contingencies, you know. So if you're going to have any contingencies, you may have to offer over full price to get that house you want. And it, it, it's driven the, the, the median price of housing up over 10% in the last 12 months in Lane County. It's driving rental prices up, and it has a lot of drivers behind it. So along comes the state legislature, which is dominated by folks out of Portland. All of the leadership of the majority caucus is, lives in Portland. Our speaker of the House um, you know, with the only real exception I would put is Peter Courtney's from Salem. Um, but all the rest of the leadership is out of Portland and our governor's out of the Portland area. Well, they're having a, you know, it's really magnified in the Portland area with the cost of rentals. 
to the point where there's investors coming in, buying up, uh, you know, uh, rental developments, uh, kicking people out, so to speak, doing a rehab of the development to make it a little bit more upscale and then renting it at much higher rates. Um, and, and that led to this whole idea that we need to have rent control in Oregon and we need to get rid of uh, no-cause evictions, um, which both of which sound like great ideas. Oh, yeah, yeah, we, we need to you know, stick it to those horrible landlords who are, who are raising rents and all that stuff. The problem is, is if I am an investor thinking about building more rental housing of any kind or building any new housing period, one of the things I'll look at is what's going to be my return on investment? And will I be able to make back the money I invest in this? When you talk about multifamily housing projects, it's millions of dollars, you know, tens of millions in some cases, even a hundred million uh, that these people are going to invest. Banks are going to make loans and all that. They're going to examine the books and all that. The moment you say that there might be rent control in Oregon and you make that law that there's the ability to establish rent control at the local level, Every one of those investors is going to have to analyze their investment in a way that says, okay, if rent control is in place, can I still make it work? Well, guess what? Most people can't pencil that out because then they start looking at, well, if inflation goes up and I'm stuck with, with the rent the day I opened and I can't raise it at any reasonable amount, um, I'm not going to be able to, you know, if, if my my costs go up for some reason, like my property taxes on my my rental unit or or you know how much I have to pay my maintenance staff because the minimum wage jumps up to fifteen dollars um, how do you make that up if if you can't raise rents and if you can't you know get enough out of the rents to pay the mortgage on 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 the complex, you're going to end up losing money and it's not a good investment. So the moment they start you know, talking about rent control and controlling evictions and all that stuff, it puts a real damper on investment in new rental units. And if they pass those laws, and there were four bills that involved rent control up there in Salem, it, it would really ultimately cause more affordable housing problems, not cure them. And, and it's just you know, I can't understand how anyone can look at the history of rent control and understand how investors make decisions in building new units and think that that's, that's going to solve the problem. You know what will solve the problem? Change some of our land use laws to make it easier for cities to expand their urban growth boundaries for affordable housing. And, and Somebody's got to come around and kick Eugene in the butt and tell him it doesn't take seven years to expand your urban growth boundary. It should only take two, maybe. I mean, that's, you know, Springfield did it that fast. I've seen other cities do it that fast. Junction City, uh, Coburg, you know, other cities in Lane County. Um, for some reason, Eugene has to plan stuff to death. And that was seven years after they had a a legislative mandate that they had to do it. Eugene has not expanded its urban growth boundary for housing since they established it back in the late 80s. So think about that. They had a 20-year supply of land in the 80s, supposedly for residential housing, and they're, they're, they haven't expanded that since. Um, how many years has it been? A good 30? Think there's su sufficient land to build on in Eugene? I don't think so. And that's one of the reasons why everything's so expensive. And then they turn around and want to put more planning rules and building permit conditions on any development that does happen. Um, so it makes it more, even more difficult to pencil out. So it's just, I scratch my head sometimes at, at the way people, um, look at what's in crisis and come up with solutions that are actually going to drive things further into crisis. Um, but talking to the realtors in Florence this morning, that was a, an issue they, of concern of theirs. 
Another bright idea that the the uh, folks in in Salem have is to add. A, they already did this in the last legislative session. They added a twenty dollar fee to every uh, document that gets recorded at a county through a county clerk that was going to go to an affordable housing fund. And uh, of course, the state's going to take their administrative costs out of that before they start granting it back out to whatever entity is going to build the affordable housing. Um, meanwhile, those de most of what gets recorded by um, the county clerks is real estate transactions. So it's adding to the cost of the real estate transactions. So you're taking money from and making real estate more expensive to pay somebody to try and build affordable housing while taking a bunch of dollars out of the system to pay for the administration of doing that doesn't seem like a really good way. Well, Salem's right in there now. They're going to double that fee. There's a bill to make that a $40 per, per deed that you record uh, fee that's going to go to the state. And in the meantime, they actually ban the county from actually taking anything out of that to administrate our cost of collecting the fee and forwarding it on to the state, but they're going to be able to take their administrative cost out. Um, and of course, you know, what they're going to end up doing is granting it back to people like the Housing Authority of Lane County, which is the Board of Commissioners who have to pay for the cost of recording that fee through our clerk's department, you know, that they're not letting us collect part of that fee for to send it to the state so they can take administrative costs down and then they're going to grant it back to us to build affordable housing. Um, I somehow or another that loop doesn't work for me. <laughs> so I uh, got to talk to the realtors a little bit about affordable housing and some of those issues, um, you know, and they're concerned because, you know, every, every time you add stuff to make real estate more expensive, it makes them hard, harder for people to afford and, and, cuts people out of the market, you know, that that every little bit adds up, you know, I, I don't know if you've ever gone to a settlement with the, you know, buying a house, um, but if you think the price of the house is how much you pay, uh, think twice, because <laughs> when your mortgage company gets done with you and all the title and escrow and, you know, fees for overnighting documents to Minneapolis or something or whatever, whatever it is that happens and all that. Um, all those fees add up to an awful lot. By the time you get said and done, you'll pay whatever that list price is for that house, plus tens of thousands of dollars in fees, appraisal costs, uh, points on your loan, you name it, um, that get added into that cost. And then, and then you're going to be paying interest on your mortgage on top of that. So um, we, know, we really need to look at how we keep those costs down, not how we jack them up in the state of Oregon. But we really also need to look at how can we have more housing built? Because, you know, it's the law of supply and demand. And what we've done in Oregon is constrict the supply of housing while the demand is increasing, which drives the price up. You know, a lot of demand for a limited supply, the price will go up. If we have a lot more supply, the price will go down. So it, it's you know, as simple as the law of supply and demand and the impact on price. We just need to find a way where we can get more land available for residential development, particularly um, uh, multifamily and even single family development where the cost of the ground isn't so expensive that the only thing that can be built is, with a profit is these starter castles in the 400,000 to 500,000 range that the average um, young family can't afford. Once upon a time ago, there were developments in this area that had housing prices for stick-built house start in the 140 to 150 range. But you don't see those anymore because the underlying ground is so expensive, you can't build in that price range and make a profit. So we got to get the underlying ground cost down, which means we have to expand the inventory of available land in areas that are easy to build, which means adding land in the South Hills where it's super expensive to build isn't going to generate low-income housing. It needs to be somewhere where the ground is level, 
or easy to access and and low cost to develop on before you're going to see low income housing built. So that's my rant for the day. I'd rather hear your rant for the day. If you want to give me a call at 646-721-9887 and press one and that lets us know you want to get in and rant or ask me a question or make a comment, whatever it is. Uh, even if you just want to tell me uh, a story about your pet or whatever, um, had to laugh listening to KPW this morning and Bill London was, it was, and Rob were swapping stories about stepping on things in the dark in the middle of the night as they got up to go to the bathroom um, and were asking people to comment with their stories. And there were some pretty wild ones, but it was pretty amazing that Bill London recounted a story where he stepped on a hairball that his cat had left him in the middle of the night and in the dark thought it was something dead and has been formerly alive recently and reacted so violently in his in his slumber that he jerked his leg up to the point where he slugged himself in the face with his knee and bruised his cheek so so even if that's what you want to call in and tell me about I don't care this is this is basically your show to control. So give me a call, 646-721-9887, and simply press one. I didn't call in the bill because I've probably got about a hundred of those kinds of stories because I have always owned dogs, even when I was a kid, always had cats. So there's always been stuff on the floor <laughs> to step in in the middle of the night. And you name it, I've found it with bare feet sometime in my lifetime. <laughs> And, and 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 yes, some of the stories are funny. Some of them are pretty gross. Um, but yeah, stepping on things in the middle of the night, uh, none of us like to do it. I also saw a thread on Facebook at one point about what's the worst thing to step on in bare feet, you know, whether it was Lego, uh, a transformer, you know, various different, uh, you know, <laughs> different things that, that, that are horrible to step on. I found one of the worst things to be, you know, you know those little uh, milk bone dog biscuits? Well, when dogs crunch them up, sometimes they don't quite get them all. And those can be the sharpest damn crumbs in, in a carpet you've ever stepped on in your life barefoot. I got one for you. What do you got, Robin? Um, this area is known for banana slugs. Oh, I've done that one. <laughs> <laughs> they are big. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it, it, it always it, it, before when I before I moved out of the out of out of town, it always seemed that I was chasing a dog in the middle of the night, uh, trying to keep my neighbors from calling the cops because they're out there making a racket, and also trying to keep the dogs from getting rabies from whatever animal they had um, up on top of the fence, which was usually a raccoon or or, or a possum. You know, we we had a six foot, you know. Um, board on board wood fence around our yard when we were on sunny side. And so, I, you know, always charging out there barefoot or whatever. One time it was a slug. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and water does not help getting that slime off. <laughs> kind of just makes it worse or something. I don't Yeah. Yeah. Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Oregon. Uh, yeah. So I digress from county politics and whatever else. And that's kind of what happens on my personal Facebook page sometimes. I do digress and get into personal stuff like the dogs and the cat. and Whatever is crossing my fancy might be something about food or, or, or something good to drink. Um, but... Definitely, you know, I, I do accept friend requests, and that's one way you can get to me is, is Facebook Messenger. Uh, I certainly reply to messengers there. Uh, try to try to catch all my email. Uh, it's one of the reasons you might see a return email from me that can be time stamped at any time of the day because I seem to be constantly having to uh, reply just to keep up. Um, and uh, it's something I can do while sort of watching TV programs. Um, particularly ones I don't really care about too much. <laughs> it's amazing how 
much work I can get done during an episode of Dancing with the Stars or The Voice. <laughs> but now I digress even further. Hey, I'd like to put a challenge out to people. Sure. Um, as we're talking about Facebook, to come to our page, KRB and Internet News Talk Radio, and hit that like button. Yes. Yeah, because, you know, one of the things that happens when you hit that like button, it actually will, you know, when we do post something on that page, um, will actually sometimes show it on your timeline. Um, if you haven't hit the like button, you're not going to see what we post. The other thing it does is the more people that hit that like button, it might be that your friend might start seeing some of the stuff we post, too, um, depending on how, how much it, it gets uh, viewed and all that. Uh, you know, the way that all that those algorithms work in the background of Facebook, the more likes something has, the more chance it has of showing up on somebody's news feed um, and they'll get to see it. And, under, you know, so you like the KRBN site. That means maybe more people will hear about the Bose Nose show in the future. If you're listening, um, it'll help us out, spread the word so that more people that are uh, citizens of Lane County can get a hold of me and talk about Lane County government. And also, even beyond that, anyone in Oregon wants to talk about how local government functions. It doesn't change much from county to county. There are some counties that are still back where they have a county judge, but I'm pretty aware of those systems from dealing with the Association of Oregon Counties. There's some that aren't home rule charter like, like Lane County is, and still only have three commissioners. But the relationship of municipal government, county government, state government, the state of Oregon is pretty consistent. So if you just have a, you know, if you're outside of Lane County and you're you're listening to this show, um, I can answer a lot of questions about state government, county government, city government, um, and talk issues that way. And if it's just a general political issue, because I will admit I am a wonk. You know, I read everything political there is just about pay attention to national politics fairly closely. Um, not as close as I'd like to sometimes because I'm so busy being a commissioner. But uh, if you want to talk about what's going on, what's the latest shenanigans in Washington, D.C., we can talk about that, too. We can even talk about the fact that I was born in Washington, D.C. and grew up there, uh, the son of a CBS News person. So um, I escaped D.C. That's one of the reasons why when people ask me, you know, if I'll ever run for Congress, I always tell them no. <laughs> Been there, done that, have the T-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> so I I'm, I I'm, have no interest at all in serving in Congress because I have no interest in living in D.C. again. Town changed from when I was a kid. Uh, used to be closer to a southern town. It is a northeast metropolis and everything that goes along with that. Um, I chose to move to Oregon at, out of multiple places to live. Uh, beautiful place. Love, love the, um, the climate. I love the scenery. I love that I can grow just about anything here. Um, I even like the rainy winters because I love to read. Um, still slogging through my, my, uh, my Hamilton biography uh, by Chernow. Um, what a long book that is, but I only get to read for pleasure uh, about 10 minutes a night before I go to bed. Um, but it's really kind of interesting to read all that stuff because it's in history. Robin, you had something there? No, that was just the uh, the warning. <laughs> oh, okay. We got one minute to go for the show. All right. Um so, yeah, that's about it for the Bo's Nose Show. So, you know, any show, call in. You still can email us at talk at krbnradio.net between shows. And, and we'll talk about it because I'm a, I'm a history buff. Um, and I do read a fair amount of history, well-read on World War II in particular, and also the Revolutionary War and some of the founders is a particular uh, era I like to read about. I'm also a bit of a sci-fi and uh, fantasy fan, so if you want to talk Game of Thrones, we can talk about Game of Thrones. Uh, read the books well before the series ever came out. Um, but, again, this is your show. Call me next time, and we'll talk to you next week here 
live from beautiful downtown Elmira, Oregon. This is the Bose Nose Show. Thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. Good night. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.